Friends, another episode of Off the Post. This one is number 77. Ray Bork. Yes, the legendary Ray Bork. I am your host, John Mattis, and today, Travis Yost of tsn.ca is coming on the show. I love having Travis on. Very knowledgeable guy. like the way that he analyzes the game. And uh, just a quick reminder to subscribe. Go to iTunes. To subscribe, go to Stitcher. To subscribe, go to SoundCloud. However you get your your podcasts, we're on there. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. Do whatever you can to help me out. Uh, it's much appreciated. Without further ado, Travis Yost. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Travis Yost, a gentleman, a scholar, a hockey writer at tsn.ca. He's back for another episode. He is one of our favorite and most regular guests. What's going on, Travis? Uh, I just want to know if this month's one appearance has now put me at the top of the leaderboard. Remember, we were, I was concerned that I wasn't... I was on your Mount Rushmore, but I don't know if I was Lincoln. I was kind of maybe in the three or four spot. I'm not sure if I'm there now. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't think we've hooked up enough times uh, over the last couple of months. It's been too, you know, uh, few and far between, but uh, maybe this is some motivation to, to chat more often. Yeah, I, I think we need it, man. I, and by the way, just so everyone knows, we've been trying to make this work for at least two weeks, and then today's tonight's call has started ominously with technical difficulties all over the place. So we're, I think we're good to go now, right? Yeah, th- this may end up being the lost episode, but... Uh, we're we're going to try and, uh, you know, grit through this. Um, yeah, so welcome back. It's always a pleasure having you on. And I think this episode is going to be right up your alley. Uh, we're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, we'll, we'll get to them and, and we'll do sort of a deep dive on them. But off the top, I want to hear your thoughts on Yermir Yager retiring, or at least we think he is retiring from the NHL. You never know what this guy um, what were your first thoughts uh, when he when he announced and, and when he left to the Czech Republic? Um, where, where does this guy rank all time in your head? Uh, generational talent. I mean, like no no player. This obvious point is obvious, but no player has carried the longevity that a Yarmir Yager has. Certainly not in this era of hockey, where it's you know the guy was in his forties and playing top six hockey probably up until. You know, I, I think you can easily make that argument up until 2016. Last year was a bit of a weird year, and then this year obviously hasn't didn't work out in Calgary, and he's trans, he's moving on. But, you know, it, it just the, the sheer longevity is ridiculous. I mean, the, the, the fact that a guy can play so many seasons of hockey and incur so much mileage and still play at such a ridiculous rate, it's, it's, you know, he's, he is the most lead-piped first ballot Hall of Famer that we've had in quite some time. Uh, it, I, think, I think the only negative thing and I certainly didn't have this feeling but I kind of worry about he just didn't have the smoothest transition out of the league right like he didn't have all the pomp and circumstance like yeah like everyone's a Yaramir Yager fan these days but what kind of sucks is that he he just you know his last season will be remembered as a failure Um, and not necessarily on his fault or Calgary's fault or anything he's just there was no there wasn't a fit he's not the same player he was and they kind of both parted ways, you know. You know, in a way that both sides were happy with with how that ended. It just it just kind of sucks to not see him go out at at his top of his game or near his top of his game. I just worry about it changing the story a little bit. But I I certainly don't hold it against him. The mere fact that he gave it a shot. He's like seventy two years old and still playing in the NHL is remarkable in its own right. 
Yeah, I got to fact check you're 72 years old. He turns 46 next week. You're close. Um, but, yeah, the thing with Yager is, like, not only did he have the longevity, everyone always talks about, you know, he's into his mid-40s. He's, he's on sort of the Gordie Howe level of, of longevity. But his highest peaks, he had four straight Art Ross trophies. Like, that's almost unheard of. Um, and then all the... All the years in between and, and, you know, leaving to the KHL and coming back. Like, he's just he's just been around so long uh, that it's it's almost like it's not real that he's gone. I, I it, There's like a 10% of me that's like, you know, if he comes back, I, I, I won't even bat an eye. It's like, oh, he's back for, you know, his 49 age year. Why not? Hey, throw him in there. Um, I'm curious. as You're a basketball guy. Is there any, like, comparable in terms of the way that – you know, Yager played, um, you know, the the numbers he picked up, um, the respect around the league. Like, Tim Duncan sort of comes uh, to I got mind. a better name. I got a better sure. name for you. I just watched him last night on the, probably the worst nationally televised ESPN game that they could possibly have had. <laughs> uh, how, about Dirk, how about Dirk Nowitzki? I, like, it, he's now in the year 20. And not only is he in the year 20, he's played all 20 years with the same team. But they've been very good, and he's clearly been productive for, what, 19 of those seasons? Uh, and, and as far as I know, Dirk's not planning on retiring this year. So, you know, I, I don't know how many more seasons of Dirk we have left, but I think that's a reasonably fair comparison, don't you? I'm not Mr. Basketball, so I don't know if I can properly answer that. But in my head and in my experience, in my relationship with basketball, it seems like a pretty good correlation there. I caught a bit of that game too. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm channel surfing here and there sometimes, and I did land on the the Dallas game, and they actually flashed a graphic. I believe, as as you noted, it was it was said he's been with Dallas for his entire 20 year career. I was just amazed by that, and I don't know, he's just like he's just a, a stable presence in the NBA, and he's he feels like he's been around since I was born, which isn't technically true, but. Just when I think of the Dallas Mavericks, I think of Dirk Nowinski and nothing else. Yeah, he's, he's played every season with them. I, I just was amazed. I put the game on, and I watched this tall, lanky guy pull up for a three, and I was like, wow, that was smooth. And they're like, oh, it's Dirk. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and yeah, he's clean-shaven and everything. But, yeah, I, I think that's the best comparison here. Yeah, and both had flow back in the day. Uh, yeah, okay, that's fair. All right, on to the Golden Knights. Game 50 for this incredible team, this incredible story goes tonight we're recording this on thursday uh they're against the jets if they win they will already have set the record for most wins for an expansion team like it's it's crazy um 33 wins right now going into tonight 12 losses four ot losses uh currently on top of the pacific division the division that we thought the edmonton oilers would be taking down this year plus 38 goal differential uh if you look at the standings they might be one point behind tampa technically but they have a higher points percentage and lead the league in that category with the 714. Um, second best offense, sixth best defense if you go by goals against and goals for. Travis, you know, I could go on for days and we'll go below the surface in a second here. But on the surface, this team has, has done it all and has, has been pretty consistent about it. Um, who's at the top of your list in terms of people who deserve credit for this uh, really wild story? Uh, well, it's obviously Dale Talent. I mean, the, the <laughs> Vegas was gifted. Vegas was gifted one of the four best lines in hockey. Like, I, I, I don't think there's any possible way you can discount how impactful that's been. I mean, what, what game have has anyone watched, Vegas fan or not, 
and has watched that Smith Marshall Carlson line and not see them come out ahead. Like they they were effectively given one of the best lines in hockey. And and say what you will about where this team goes and where they regress. Like if they were any other hockey team, and we looked at their underlying numbers: fifty three percent shot rate, fifty four percent expected goal. I think they're 54, 55% Corsi in the last 15 games, which I think is at the top of the league, literally number one. If this was any other team, we'd be talking about a Stanley Cup contender. Yep. But because it's an expansion team and because they don't have any top-end talent or as, as we would define superstar talent, uh, people are skeptical about you know really how good they are. And my point is this. One, who cares? And the reason why I say who cares is not, not so much about what their outlook is in 2017, but – Okay, they regress next year. They don't win some of these one-goal games. The game against Calgary, which they scored three goals in like 40 seconds, that doesn't happen. Okay, fine. Where where do they finish in the West next year? Third, fourth? Like it, that that's that's kind of what my takeaway is here. Like people are going to look at them next year when they have 98 points and say, "Well, they took a step back." I guess. I mean, like, yeah, that's that's inevitable. Anytime you have a 115 point season, the odds are you are extremely likely to regress, even if you do nothing wrong. And I, I think the one realization for me was right around the game 15-20 mark. Um, I think after like the first seven or eight games, yeah. their their shot numbers, their goal numbers, really started to look like plus 50%, like quality playoff team. And since then, I've been watching them with a more, I guess, careful eye, like a more critical eye. Yeah. And all I see is a team that is extremely well-balanced in the forward ranks. They've got a hot goalie, and I, I don't know that you can fully trust Marc-Andre Fleury in, in the playoffs. He's had his issues there in the past, and he, quite honestly, when you play in the playoffs, you're going to face some superior goaltending, and I think there might be some mismatches there. But, like, we're, we're nitpicking at the roster here. I just don't know how you can, in good faith, look at the Western Conference and name many teams that are truly better than them. Like, as we sit here today in a seven-game series, what team would you be comfortable backing against Vegas. And I, I think Winnipeg might be a fair answer. I think you can maybe say St. Louis, but I, the list is so small. Like, there is no way, I, I, I don't think there is any way, that Vegas would be beat by a San Jose or an Anaheim in round one. Like, I, I just don't. And, and they're probably not going to get that matchup. They're probably going to get the, the second crossover matchup, uh, just depending on how the division shake out. But, like, I think they are a very likely team a very likely bet to advance out of the first round which is absolutely insane the mere fact that this expansion team is going to set every expansion record possible and probably win at least one playoff round they're to me they're a lead pipe lock for team of the year regardless if they win a championship or not it's just so unexpected and the nhl looks brilliant oh yeah this, right they, they come off looking so well and you know the, the fan exposure and the market has been fantastic for them, which to me is not surprising. The Vegas uh, market argument I've been making for years that a team would work there, um, but the, the, the piece that's surprising is they can pat themselves on the back and say the expansion draft worked. But I guess the I guess the most interesting takeaway for me is it sounds like Seattle is going to get the same expansion draft rules per Bettman. I, I think teams are going to be much more apprehensive at that wheeling and dealing stuff because that's where teams got into trouble. That's where Anaheim got into trouble with Shea Theodore. Columbus got into trouble with William Carlson, and Florida got into trouble with uh, uh, Riley Smith and Jonathan Marceau. So I, I think teams are going to be much more prepared for the Seattle version of this in a couple of years. I find the uh, the Carlson Smith Marceau line almost like is a microcosm of of this team. Like 
when I watch the Vegas Golden Knights on TV, I haven't seen them live. I know you have. You've been down there a couple times, at least according to your Twitter. Um, it sounds like, or it looks like to me, that this team is almost, um, you know, never afraid to attack. You know, is always passing to the slot. That every single line tries to generate offense and not, you know, the reverse of that, which would be hold on for dear life. Like, it, you know, the Carlson Smith Margisol line. It almost looks like they're playing shinny, how they, you know, their quick transitions, you know, good spacing, shots off the rush. Like, it almost seems so carefree, and so it just seems easy. And it and it almost is, is like, counterintuitive because you think that it would be a team that has been together forever, that has had, you know, incredible chemistry for years and years, would be sort of producing this type of hockey. But maybe it just comes down to up and down the lineup, they have, they have wheels, they have speed, and, and there comes a time when... If you can beat a guy to the puck, you know, in in succession for five times, that's going to lead to a lot of goals, especially when, um, you know, a guy like William Carlson is, I believe his shooting percentage is like 26 right now, which will obviously go down. But like, it's just that line just to me encapsulates, you know, everything that's happened with this team, uh, with everything uh, sort of going their way. But also it's almost you got to give them a ton of credit at the same time in the way that they've been able to just embrace their standing within the league as a speedy team a team that doesn't have many stars or all-stars a lot of b-plus players and i know that when i when i say that i go back to carolina the hurricanes they have a lot of b-plus players as well but they're not they're not cashing in like uh like vegas is so so one one point john that i want to make here is i completely agree about the b-plus angle and i also completely agree that speed is the biggest reason for this team's success like if you look at Vegas and you look at their wins and you watch the game start to finish, it is patently obvious that they are faster than pretty much every team that they play. And it's not just about like skating speed, it's about, you know, the distribution of puck and the transition of the game speed. Like they just play so much faster than pretty much anyone that I've seen this year, save maybe Tampa Bay and Nashville, and it makes them so ridiculously tough to defend. I will say one point though, I will challenge you on this point. Now I think they do have a lot of BB-plus players. That, that's obvious. But how many players do you have to name in the league go from you know Crosby and McDavid down right. before you get to Jonathan March? So I, I genuinely mm. think he's still the most underrated player in the league. I, I don't there, – there is his, – his performance numbers over the last two, two and a half years, can, you can match them up with pretty much any other player in the league. I mean, he it, – and it's also further clear to me, if you look at how his wingers – shoot when he's on the ice versus when they're playing with someone else he consistently boosts his teammates shooting percentage and the reason why is he's just so electric down the middle of the ice and he's such a phenomenal passer that guys like William Carlson okay yeah he's not a 26 percent shooter but maybe he can shoot 15 percent on or 13 percent on March shows wing he is just that good of a passer I, I still I am adamant about this piece I even at five million a year March shows extension kicks in um, I believe next year I still think he is going to be underpaid, I, and I think he is the biggest reason why uh, er, uh, William Carlson has had such a strong year. I, you know, William Carlson obviously looks like a fantastic player, but he has to put a lot of that on how good March so has been for him. And I, that's that is the piece that I was shocked by. I, I was looking at the market, and I, I figured around five million is where March so could come in. But yep. man, I think you could make a pretty convincing case if you're his agent that he could have been getting six plus. I mean. Compare him head to head with the Kyle Thurs. Like Kyle Thurs just signed a new deal. I think it's around six million. Who would you take tomorrow? I, I think I would take March. So. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's it's funny, right? I wonder if if Marcel and his agent are going to look back on his career and you know this is when they're maybe you know in their fifties or whatever when he's in his fifties and go, man, I missed out on millions and millions. You know, the start of his career, scratching and clawing to get to the NHL, gets the NHL underpaid for two or three years, finally cashes in and it's five million over six years, which is fine. That's a lot of money, but I think you might be onto something where. That, that deal, well, it's already going to look good next year unless he just completely falls off a cliff. But you wonder if he can continue up this trajectory. Um, let, me, let me ask you this, because I think this is a fascinating question, and it is about as far away as a stat-related question as I can possibly ask. But sure. do you consider him a star? Um, I don't know if I've seen enough, and by enough I mean just like – I don't know. Maybe maybe it's just the markets that he's played in, and that's why I don't think he's a star. Because he, I have seen enough. I mean, the guy will by the end of the season probably have scored sixty goals in in, in two seasons. I mean, what else would you want? So I, I I don't think of him as a star, but I think I should. Yeah, I I'm in the same boat, dude. Like I I would if someone said, "Hey, Marshall's a star," I'd be like, ooh, ah, that's I I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty conservative with that label. Like that, that I'm pretty protective of, of, of dishing that out. But with each passing game and his sample size growing, it, it is becoming increasingly more difficult to not call him that. And that and that's and remember, all of this is fascinating because he was the sweetener to get Riley yes, Smith, yes, yes, who yes. was also having a fantastic year. I mean, you you just couldn't write that script over again if you tried. Oh, Dale Talon. So if we if we seriously talk about GM of the year, I think I mean George McPhee has to at least be like the the favorite i haven't looked into what other gms have done but you know he's the obvious favorite um you know he already won he already yeah there's no way i i really struggle there's no way that whether he deserves it or not galant's gonna win coach of the year and mcphee's gonna win gm of the year i'm pretty certain that both of those are gonna happen and you can you can argue about which one is more deserving than another but let's be honest vegas is top in the league they're literally number one in the league right now it's gonna be impossible for Gerard Gallant not to win that trophy. So the Jack Adams is already done. So now let's talk about GM of the year. Who is any other potential candidate here? Yeah. Um, hmm. I don't know. I guess no, no one, no one springs to mind. I just, I always, I always hedge my, my opinion with those type of awards. Cause if I haven't looked into it, I don't want to just say, Oh, McPhee for sure. But I mean, I would imagine he is. Let, let's run through what he's done this year in terms of just signing. So Margisol, as we discussed, six years, five million kicks in next year. Braden McNabb, four years at two point five. Like that's a that seems like a steal to me. Uh, John Merrill, two years, one point three seven five. Derek Anglin, one year, one point five. So he's he's locked up three defensemen, and you know to varying degrees uh, of of impact on on their their success. But Margisil is is the big win there, and McNabb seems like quite the deal. Um, and then uh, the thing that that just amazes me or makes me kind of just uh, roll my eyes and, and, and in a complimentary way is the fact that this Vegas team that is first in the league that, you know, could very well do 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 big things in the playoffs. They haven't they haven't mortgaged their future at all because this team is basically the expansion draft team. They still have seven picks in this summer's draft, 12 in 2019 and nine in 2020. So. It's almost like, you know, George McPhee, everything he touches has turned into gold. I except for except for Martin Erat. Okay. Um, oh, but, and and uh Vadim I guess we should we should mention that was a, a complete fail, but 
I thought you were going to hit me with a too soon, too soon on marking your app. What was that? <laughs> oh, it's definitely not too point? soon. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, one, one, uh, one random off-the-wall thought. Sure. Uh, but I wrote about this today. Um, I am becoming increasingly, I, I wouldn't say it's 50-50 yet, but I would say there's a 30% chance we see Eric Carlson traded at some point in the next calendar year. Uh, I just I just think there are so many things working against Ottawa retaining him outside of just I mean really the only reason why he'd stay is for comfort and familiarity reasons at this point which is a big reason but it's pretty much a standalone what are your I I think Tampa Bay makes the most sense first idea of building a super team in the modern era putting Carlson and Hedman on two different pairings would be ridiculous but what do you think about Vegas because Vegas is the second team that comes to mind as a potential buyer, and I think they are in a really good spot for two reasons. They can give up a lot of futures, which don't cost any money, which Ottawa likes. They're in a different conference. Not Tampa Bay's in the same division as Ottawa, which is a problem, right. uh, historically anyway, whereas Vegas is in a completely different conference. And they, can, they have so much cap space that they can eat some of these bad contracts that Ottawa is dying to get off of, whether it's Bobby Ryan or Dion Phaneuf or any of their bottom six players who are on all on multi-year deals. Like, Vegas can absorb two or three of those and, and really not bat an eye. Do you think there's any plausibility with that connection? I mean, it, it seems insane, but, like, he's 27, and he's still fine for a year and a half. I, and, and the reality is, to your point, the reason why I bring it up is you're saying they haven't mortgaged their future at all. Is this where you roll the dice? Could you throw a dart here and say, yeah, we're going to go get the best defender in the NHL and actually try and make a push at this title this year? My, like, I would... I think it makes sense on paper. I just think when you peel back the layers and think of the people involved, that Eugene Melnick will probably not allow Eric Carlson to leave, you know, via via trade. I think he would hold on to him till free agency. Like I just think that that market is so um, frustrated with him, and he's trying to calm down all the nerves. Going on this PR tour right now, and I don't know. Like think of the Ottawa Senators without Eric Carlson and. You know they already have trouble selling selling tickets. Imagine he gets sent away, uh, you know, mid-season or so, at the deadline before he becomes a free agent. I mean, that would just that would absolutely just kill. I want to I don't want to be dramatic and say kill a generation of fans, but you'd lose some fans just strictly from that. And I get it. You have to rebuild. You have to do scorched earth, all that crap. But I don't know if Ottawa is really the market or the owner or or the GM to do that. At some point, I, first off, I don't disagree. I, I, I think that he, the owner has tremendous influence, and I think they are going to try and hold on for as long as they can. And maybe that's the right play. That, that is not a criticism at all. But if, if you're looking at reality, reality right now is Eric Carlson on his next deal is going to get ten and a half to $11 million. I mean, that is pretty much a fact. As long as he says, I'm not stepping down, I'm not taking a hometown discount or any discount for that matter, that's what he's going to get paid. And I just don't know that Ottawa is in a position to, to swallow an 88, potentially $88 million contract for one player, regardless of how good he is. I just don't know that they have the cash or the you know financial stomach for that. And if that's the case, and it's that's kind of clear already, don't you as the GM have to say, look, we're going to lose this guy. We have to get players in place to offset this, and maybe maybe we can get a dollar for a dollar. It seems unlikely, but maybe if we target the right assets, you know, we, we get one quality player. I had mentioned in the Tampa Bay article that Braden Point made a lot of sense for Ottawa, and I, I, the mere fact that Tampa Bay fans are 
up in arms like we wouldn't trade Braden Point for Eric Carlson is a, is a good enough point that uh, maybe maybe both sides could benefit here. But I, I, I don't know, man. Like I I, I I think I sense you're right about that, but to me it's also a and we we've kind of went down a hole that we didn't intend to go down. And I that's I'm okay, that's all right for this derailment. But I, I just I bring you back to Vegas. Like I think if you're Vegas, you have to look around and say. We don't want to mortgage the future. However, if we can get a core player on a, on a still a quote-unquote multi-year deal for $6 million, and he's literally the best defender in the league, and we can just dump some of our future picks at, at Ottawa and, and take, a, take a crappy contract in place, who is, who is again, this is all about unexpected gate revenue and a chance to actually win the Western Conference I think they would have a shot. I re- I genuinely think that, regardless of of where their performance would go. I mean, reality is that the biggest the biggest luck factor on Vegas' side right now has been that their blue line, outside of Colin Miller and Nate Schmidt, have have stood up for the most part. Like I, Braden McDab is fine. You know, they they've got a lot of like okay guys on the blue line that have played above their heads. And if there's going to be a regression, I expect it to be back there. I just I don't know I I don't think it's that crazy I really don't and and maybe to your point maybe a trade never materializes and Ottawa just lets it sink into free agency and spits the bit that way that's fine but I I do think as a trade partner Vegas might make more sense than any team outside of Tampa Bay. Well, okay, they they do and I even even in free agency I mean you don't think Carlson would if he's looking for a max deal wouldn't consider Vegas and. You don't think Vegas would, wouldn't consider him? Because you look at their cap-friendly page. I'm on it right now. They have no bad contracts right now because the, the quote-unquote bad contracts are, are guys who are expiring this summer, like Jason Garrison at 4.6, gone this summer. Like they're, the, They have like no one locked up except for Riley Smith, Cody Eakin for three years, but that doesn't really you know constitute being locked up. Um, Jonathan Margisil, as we've discussed, and those are all those are good deals or, or relatively good deals, I guess. In Riley Smith's case, you know, Mark Andre Fleury is not locked up long term, and and you know he makes five point seven five. That's not crazy. Like if there if there's one team across the league, I would have to look at literally every cap friendly page. But I'm pretty confident that Vegas might be in the best cap situation, which just kind of seems bizarre given you know the way that they went about the expansion draft and said hey give me your bad contracts and you know we'll throw a bunch of guys on ir it's just i don't know it's like it's almost like they played their cards so well and and i honestly was a little skeptical at first in in their strategy of, of hoarding all of these defensemen um because they didn't end up flipping them uh which everyone thought that they would do between the expansion draft and the start of the season I don't, I don't know who gets credit for this. Obviously, McPhee does, and, and he must have um, a whole team that, that deserves a pat on the back for the way that their uh, their salary cap situation is shaken out. So a couple things there. I'll challenge you on that one, uh, one point, and it, it didn't seem like a strong argument, but I, I still don't think what they did on defensively was the right play, quote-unquote. Like, they were left holding the bag more than I think they wanted to or more than they think they envisioned. And let's be honest, a lot of that – has been clouded by the fact that they've been so freaking good, especially in the forward rank, that it just really hasn't mattered all that much. Like that that's number one. Number two, you're back to your going through the, the, the bad contracts. The the funny story here is look, Jason Garrison's a bad contract. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> there's a story to this, which I believe <laughs> is Vegas took on the Garrison contract to land I think the KHL's top score right now, Nikita Gusev. I think he is a Vegas prospect. 
Um, yeah, and Not I think bad. he was part of the sweetener to land Jason Garrison, which is another interesting wrinkle. I don't know if Gusev has any plans to jump over next year, but like they did get value for him. And by the way, to your point about being a buyer seller, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, the fact that Vegas has Garrison's contract makes them actually a better trading partner than I think, than I think people realize because he's an expiring contract. You can flip, you can smooth salaries and flip bodies and assets, and you can absorb a bad contract for a longer period of time. Like you know, the uh, the Bobby Ryan contract was a good uh, a good example pre- previously. They could absorb the Bobby Ryan contract so that teams are still in cap compliance with this season. Then Jason Garrison there, and maybe that offsets some of the costs of a big you know a big trade, be it you know Carlson or anyone else for that matter. That 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 could be a valuable piece for them. So we, you know we've talked about the forwards and and that Florida line we'll call it um, with the D though we haven't really talked about specific players you know we thought that Shea Theodore would be good we thought Nate Schmidt would be good you know those guys were going to get an increased role uh, Colin Miller had already shown in Boston that that he was the real deal have have you been though uh, have they exceeded your expectations those three guys because they're sort of they're anchoring that that back end. One absolutely has. So I was a buyer in Nate Schmidt, and Shea Theodore was not. I think I don't think there's a single person who sold Shea Theodore stock. That he's just he's a star in the making. Colin Miller has impressed me beyond belief. And fun little fact, I believe he is the league leader in relative coursey really amongst defensemen this year, which would put him above Hantus Lindholm and above Eric Carlson. And like, look, there is collinearity with Colin Miller playing with with the Marshall line more than most other lines. So he's getting a bit of a boost or a benefit there. But the fact is, though, that, that five-man unit and his defensive pairing in particular has driven play into the offensive zone time and time and time again. And I thought he was a, a, a solid top-four guy in Boston, but his numbers this year would scream border first-pairing guy, and I did not see that. And when you combine that with the fact that Chase Theodore was their quote-unquote big prospect and a, and a future first-pairing guy, and Nate Schmidt's playing like another border first pairing guy. I mean, I, I'm still skeptical about skeptical about what's behind him. Uh, McNabb's okay. He's not a sexy player. It's fine. You can put him on a second pair and be okay. Yeah. Their third pair needs some work, like most of their third pairs in the league. Uh, I think they're getting a little bit lucky on the, on on that piece of it. But yeah, I, I think to your point, a couple of guys have marginally exceeded expectations. But I, maybe I just rated him wrongly. But Miller has been. I, I think Miller, I would argue, has been the biggest surprise for me. Uh, outside of William Carlson uh, on that team, yeah, another perfect storm, right? Like you look, you look at almost every player and every combination. It's like, well, this fell right for them. This fell right for them. Um, I'm curious. Uh, so the deadline and and the playoffs, like the way that you sort of talked about it off the top, like the way that the the league has unfolded this season, the way that the dynamics of between the teams have have you know kind of been laid out. You obviously have Tampa in the East uh, with, with Boston, with Washington, and as sort of an honorable mention, Toronto, because I don't think we've seen their, their best version yet. And then probably Vegas, Nashville, Winnipeg in the West. Um, do, do you think like Vegas is a legit like top three team? If you forget about sort of what we're seeing right now, like just sort of their actual potential or ceiling this season, are they are they a top three? I think they are, and if they're not top three, they're top four. And, and again, this comes back to like so much about playoff talk is about matchups, and we have to go through. I am I am calling the shot preemptively. I want to be on the podcast before the playoff matchups start. Sure, so we we'll can do analyze that. each of those. That that was the funnest, one of the fun ones that we did last year. But um, on this, 
on this particular point, if you look at where Vegas is positioned, they, they could potentially get jobbed. First off, you know I despise this playoff format more than anyone. It's they could ridiculous. potentially get jobbed because of the crossover rule, which means they might have, they likely will have to play the fifth-best team in the Central, which, by the way, would be a very, very good hockey team. But let's say they draw like a Minnesota or Colorado there. I think they'd be favored there. I think that's fair, right? Yeah. They'd be favored against either of those teams. And then if they get – if San Jose-Anaheim is the 2-3 – I think they're the favorite there pretty comfortably. I, I think that's an easier matchup. I, I see no reason. I do not rate San Jose highly at all this year. I, I just think they're a team in a transition, and they're clearly on the downturn. Anaheim is way too much of a wild card. You watch them one night, they look good. You watch them another night, they're horrible. Uh, I don't think either match up well against Vegas. I think Vegas can skate both of them out of the rink. I think there's one team outside of the obvious Winnipeg-St. Louis maybe Nashville specifically. Those three teams obviously would pose a threat to Vegas, but it's likely that Vegas would only see one of them and in the Western yeah. Conference Final. The team that could throw them for a loop, and one thing I think they they should be subtly rooting for, is to push Calgary out. Because I know they I know the, the Calgary game was fun and Vegas came back and won and all that, but Calgary is one of the few teams in the league other than National and Tampa Bay that, has, that have the speed and the defensive pairing quality that can match them line for line and pair for pair. And Calgary's had a very weird season, really two very weird seasons. I still rate them very highly, and I think they could give, I think they could give Vegas some some real difficulty and pose a real threat, especially if Calgary um, draws them in that in that second round series. I, I I think that is a matchup that Vegas, when you're a favorite and looking at underdogs, you want to avoid. I think Calgary is the team you want to avoid if you're them. The and the pessimist view of Vegas and and in regards to the playoffs is that. Typically, year over year, we see high-end skill win out when it's a seven-game series. So that we did is, last year. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know what I mean. It's one of those things where, like, okay, if the, if you're gonna if that's the one thing you pick, then uh, you know that's not a big great argument. But I mean, you know, you, you look you look at Vegas and and you stack it against I don't know Winnipeg, who has hot, who has better high-end players, Winnipeg. Nashville, you could, yeah, probably Nashville. And then you just go down the list and it's like, will they run into trouble when when it becomes this kind of grueling, you know, first one to four wins uh, is the victor? Like, you know what I mean? And and I guess we'll never know until the playoffs because they're they're in their first season. But um, that's typically how it goes when if, if you have Crosby and Malkin down the middle, good luck beating them. So I have this pet theory, and I call it a pet theory because I haven't proved it out, but I swear... I haven't proved it out at all, but I swear by it. And <laughs> okay. Take your best line or best pairing. Whatever drives your team's success. So Boston would be the Bergeron line. Yep. You know, uh, Winnipeg would be the Shifley line. Uh, you know, some teams, like we saw last year, Nashville, Anaheim, Ottawa, they were driven by their defensive pairings that they could play a ton. In Vegas's case, it's clearly the Marshall line. And my question, my point is this. If you have a line or a pair that can get slowed down by another team's line or a pair, and they're your best line or pair, you're, you, that's when you get into trouble. And I think the, 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 we saw that on full display last playoffs. And, again, I'm not saying this is 100% accurate, but, you know, Ottawa, the teams had no answer for the Eric Carlson pairing. Teams had no answer for Nashville's top two blue lines that played 40 minutes a night. Uh, they, teams had no answer for the Lindholm pairing. And teams obviously had no answer for the Crosby line. And then when push came to shove, the Crosby line outdueled the Carlson pairing, and then the uh, the Crosby line outdueled the Nashville top two pairing. Yep. My so my point back to Vegas is this: Who has a line that can slow down Marshall line? And I I come back to one group, and that's the Shifley. That's the Shifley group. 
The other the other team that I think has the wherewithal to slow them down is Nashville because of the defensive talent there. Now right. Vegas and Nashville yep. have played two super super fun matchups already. It might even be three at this point. Um, but Vegas has looked well against uh, has performed well against them. But the fact that they can throw out you know Subban the Subban pairing and the second pairing right behind them. Uh, and and throw bodies at that Marshall line could give them trouble. And if Vegas doesn't have them going, they're a very ordinary team. A, a, ordinary in the sense of a playoff, a playoff caliber team. And that, that, so that's where I think you draw the line. Where what are the two teams that really match up well against them? I, it's it's Winnipeg and Nashville. I don't. I to be clear, I don't think St. Louis. I'm not sure St. How? Louis has the, has the group to throw at them. I think Winnipeg and Nashville would be much tougher matchups. The thing with St. Louis is that I think that. They've overperformed a little bit. I mean, you look at the roster and you see a guy like Robbie Fabry not there because he's been ruled out for the whole season, and you go, ooh, what they could have been with with another offensive weapon because, I mean, past Tarasenko, Shen, and Schwartz, it, it gets a little thin, and, you know, they've, they've, re- they've sort of weathered the storm through a few key injuries, um, but I don't know, like... Of 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 the teams in the West, St. Louis doesn't doesn't scare me. Doesn't strike fear uh, into other teams like I see with with Vegas or Winnipeg, or you know you could probably make the argument Nashville, San Jose, LA. Like there's a bunch of teams stacked ahead of them in my mind. That, that line too, the Tarasenko line might have been the best line in hockey for the first twenty or so games. Uh, they've slowed a bit. I my concern with St. Louis is they really. For a lot of big names on the back end, they don't really have the most mobile defensive units. And That's again, fair. I think where we've seen St. Louis get into trouble is on two fronts. The goaltending doesn't hold up, or the defensive units are a bit overwhelmed by pace. And I think Vegas, the biggest, of all their strengths and weaknesses, the biggest positive in the, on the strength side is they can outpace you. And that, I, I just, in that light, I, I just think St. Louis is going to have a much tougher time. The beauty of Vegas's position is this: they might get marginally screwed in that first round matchup, but again, if if you're if you're only scared about Winnipeg and Nashville, there's extreme likelihood you only have to play one of them, and there's also a pretty strong likelihood you're going to have the home series in that. So again, you know, we might be putting our car before the horse. Vegas could get chased in the first round. Any team could get chased in the first round, but uh, I, I think those are the teams you steer from. Let's let's end off uh, before I let you go here on Gerard Gallant and. Alex Pruitt wrote a story about him uh, that was out today uh, for Sports Illustrated. And I was, you know, you read it, and, and basically the, the takeaway is that Gerard Gallant has decided to be hands off with this team and to sort of let them do what they want to do. You know, Margisil wants to play on his off wing or Riley Smith or whoever. You know, name a winger. You can do that. Sure. Why not? Um, like, he's, he's like, he's the ultimate players coach and he's dealing with a bunch of cast offs. So you think that he would have to mold them and have to really overcoach them, but he isn't, and it's kind of ironic that the guy who's coaching perhaps the least in the league will likely win the Jack Adams. And but at the same time, it's a kind of genius. It's like you know he he sees something good when he's maybe out on practice, and he goes, "I'm just going to leave it alone." And and I think that takes a lot of guts and and takes a lot of uh, I guess restraint. And obviously he has he has you know his his. Uh, support from up top and it's just i just find it like the funniest story that that this guy is is basically coming out and and said you know very charmingly like hey i'm sort of just letting them do their thing and i'm there for them and i'm i'm a total players coach and we're winning lots of hockey games i i will say this it is easy to be hands off 
when your goaltending is stopping 94% of your shots and you've got one of the best lines in hockey and you're pretty much humming along. I am going to be very interested in seeing what he does, which, by the way, I've been saying all year and it's just never happened. I'm going to be very interested to see what he does when Vegas goes through their first four-game losing streak. or you know, When you need to make of, changes. Of materiality where they're either not scoring or the goaltending's a joke. Um, they, they just, let's be honest, they have not had no. that stretch, period, this year. And the only brief stretch they had was a fourth or fifth string goalie in that. And and even those games were reasonably competitive. I think Lagasse ended up with six wins. Uh, so I, I am I am curious about that because every he would probably be the first one to say this. Even if he's done a fantastic job coaching, I think he has. Everything has went right this year. He's dealt with no adversity at all outside of that brief goal te- run of goaltender injuries. And even then, he was super lax about it. Like, it is what it is. And I, I think part of that <laughs> is because there was such little pressure and so yeah. low expectations. I'm just going to be very interested if, you know, when they're going through a four, five, six game losing streak, will he have the same type of approach? Um, and maybe maybe he will. We just don't have a ton of sample with him. He, I thought he had a strong year when he was with Florida, got chased out after they had a bit of a downturn, and then we've only seen great greatness out of him this year. Uh, I love him as a coach. I think I think he's fantastic. But, again, easy for me to say when you're – you're winning more games than any other team in the league. That's usually a very easy and not-so-sexy conclusion. Yeah, we'll see when push comes to, to shove. To your, to your point about them not really facing uh, this tough stretch, so I, I looked at it before the podcast, and this isn't rolling averages. It's just 10-game segments. So first 10 games, they were 8-2. and two. Second, 5-5, five and five, so 500, okay. Sec- and then the third one, 6-4. and four. Uh, the fourth one, nine and one, and then uh, obviously their their fifth one is about to conclude tonight. They go into tonight's game five and four, so they're they're not going to have <laughs> any segments below five hundred, which is pretty impressive for the first fifty games of your franchise. The the one thing too that I would call out is somewhere in that thirty to forty game block. Go look at the schedule they played in late December to early January. It was like. All of the good Eastern Conference teams, like Tampa Bay, Toronto, blah, 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 on the road, and then also the Western Conference gauntlet, and they somehow had a winning record comfortably through that stretch, which was, that to me was like the exclamation point on their season. Like, okay, <laughs> if you're not a believer at this point, I don't know what will. I mean, I, they, they ransacked Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. They, they destroyed Toronto on, on I think there was a home game. They destroyed Toronto on New Year's. Uh, they, they, they've ran through some really, really good teams in consecutive order. Like, there's, there's no one there left for them to play. Like, they don't have to prove themselves against no. any other team. Now it's a matter of can you can you win a playoff series? We are well beyond can you prove yourself against quality teams. They've beaten pretty much everyone at this point. Have you? Uh, you you've you've won. You've gone to a couple games, correct? Yes. Did you contract the uh, the Vegas flu? Uh, <laughs> I, I let me say this. I, I know there have been stories written about it. Here's my own experience. One of the best home game experiences that I've had. Uh, it looks like it from TV. The crowd is ridiculous. Atmosphere is fantastic. They put on a great show. It helps that the team is very good. Uh, but, you know, I, I went to some legacy arenas where the, the crowd's dead. Like, I, I grew up, I've, I've seen no team more live than the New York Rangers. Yeah. And Madison Square Garden, when it's humming, is probably is – I would say the best arena in sports. When the Rangers aren't very good, uh, which you know we have really haven't had that test in Vegas. But when the when the Rangers aren't going well or they're losing a game, crowd kind of dies. That happens a lot, and that, I think that happens quite a bit in Toronto. You would probably have that. If oh you yeah, know that it's, better than I would. But it's not great. It's not exactly like sexy atmospheres in some of these legacy locations. 
where you've got like San, I'm thinking off the top of my head, San Jose, Nashville, Vegas. These are like non-traditional hockey markets with probably three of the top like, what, eight, nine atmospheres in the league. Is that fair? Yeah, I love Nashville's with the the goalie chance. I, I that's just so like football, and I love it. San Jose, that's that's bucket list. I still have not gotten to a game in the tank, but I remember when I was in college, when I was in college or right after college, when San Jose was really in their prime. Yeah, those games you couldn't even watch them on TV; they were so loud. <laughs> Got to turn down the volume. <laughs> it was like I'm going to watch this game on mute so I can actually hear myself think. All right, Travis. Again, thanks for coming on and. Uh, I mean, you invited yourself back on, so, I mean, I guess I have to, uh, you know, ring you up again. <laughs> you were like, in your, in your post notes, you were like, all right, well, I'm done with Travis for a few years, and now you're, scram- you're scrambling to erase that comment and, like, regrettably have to put him on one more time in April. Time to edit that out, and we'll never speak of it again. Thanks again, man, and uh, uh, you're at Travis Yost on Twitter. Last time I tried to give you... Uh, time to, to do a plug. You just ran away by saying my Twitter name instead of yours. So I'm I'm saying it for you, Travis Yost. And <laughs> tsn.ca is where you can find uh, Travis's work. I yeah, please. Uh, I I will. I rarely do this, but I think this. Uh, I'll end on this note. Sure. I, I think this trade deadline and this summer could be one of the most fascinating deadlines and summers that we've seen on the trade market in some time there are a lot of big names that are almost certainly available uh and and i think there is going to be much more player movement than than teams are leading on the reality is drew dowdy's coming up eric carlson's coming up john Tavares is coming up to say nothing of all the the b-level stars i would still call them stars that are also coming due in the next year year and a half I, i just there is a groundswell of a lot of guys looking for a lot of money and some weird cap spots that I don't know are going to have the money to make some types of move. And I, I think you are going to see a lot more. If you go down the trade tracker at TSN, like there, there's some pretty good names there. But I think, I, think team, I think we and most people are reluctant to put a name like Drew Dowdy on the trade market because I don't think today the team has any interest in trading him. But at some point, considering their cap situation and considering what they could get in an offer and considering what he's going to make, I think L.A. has to pick up the phone and at least listen. I think the Islanders have to do the same thing with Tavares, although I think that's the least likely. And I definitely think Ottawa is going to do that with Eric Carlson. I mean, the GM and owner have said as much. So I, I just think there might be, we harken back to the days where Taylor Hall and, and P.K. Subban were traded on the Ah, the good old day. days. Uh, yeah, I, I think we might have a redux to that. I don't know if it'll be this trade deadline, but, man, that's, this deadline slash this summer, I think you're going to see a flurry of activity. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. Well, you heard it here first uh, about a half hour ago. You broke the trade that Carlson will be going to either Tampa or to Vegas. <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna now. Now there's gonna be 20 <laughs> stories written, quote retweeted. Someone alleged this. I'm gonna get a nasty gram from the Ottawa Senators front office. And at, at, all this is gonna end with was me doing a, a podcast on my own just remorsefully apologizing for a claim that that my podcast co-chair made that I did not make. I love it. Thanks again, Travis, and we'll do this again sometime soon. All right. Take care, John.